Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for allowing me to join you today and to be able to share um, on a topic that I discussed at the conference in um, February called Bringing the Inside Out. And where this topic comes from is the white book. And if you have your white book and big book with you, um, we're going to go on a trip through the literature. And if you don't, you might want to grab it. So the in the literature of the white book on page 112 is where um, I found the term bringing the inside out. What does that mean? And what does that have to do with recovery? So in the second sentence on page 112, it says, we identify and have true union with others on the basis of revealed weaknesses. So I identify and I have union just on the basis of revealing my weaknesses. Well, I'm a good sexaholic. I don't do that. I haven't done that for 30 something years. That's the last thing that I'm going to do. Well, how important is that to me? Um, so on the same page with the small print second sentence, it says, we must, and that's a very important word, be entirely honest with someone if we expect to live long or happy in this world. So this is crucial to my life. And this is crucial um, to why I couldn't get well, you know. So um, how am I doing and how was I doing when I came through the doors of SA? Um Let's see what it says on the problem, Roman numeral five of the white book. It says, many of us felt inadequate, unworthy, alone, and afraid. And that was me since I can't, I can't remember when. I was very much left alone a lot and um, just constantly plagued by loneliness. So the second sentence says, our insides never matched what we saw on the outside of others. Well, that was me. I knew something was wrong with me when I was very young. I just didn't know what it was. And the next sentence is key. Early on, we came to feel disconnected. Well, that's the opposite of union from parents, from peers, and from ourselves. So I'm disconnected. I don't have union when I'm coming in the doors. And I didn't. Um, how did I get this way? Um, it explains it very beautifully on page 53 of the white book under the very appropriate title called Separation. Very first sentence, it says, from our very first attitude change, and that word's going to be important, attitude, um, throughout um, the literature, we isolate ourselves. So this is suggesting to me that I had a correct attitude. I was in union with others, and somewhere in my life, there was a change, and it isolated me. And then it says, we start building a wall around us, especially between us and those we are closest to. So. Somewhere, and I know when I was four years old, I was a rage of holic. I don't know why, but I just was angry all the time. I was yelling at people. And it was my main way of getting attention. And by that attitude, I know I was very much alone. So I'm building this wall around my family of origins. And I definitely um, relate to that very, very closely. The second paragraph says, at the same time, we are separating ourselves from God. Our way of life sets us on a course away from instead of towards. So this is key. I never knew this. So if 
my relationship to those I'm closest to or the person in front of me to others is directly proportional to my relationship with God. That's crazy. So I need to be aware that how I am towards others, that is reflective of my relationship to God. They're related, they're connected, they go hand in hand. And it's not just a wall between me and God and me and others. I'm constantly moving in a direction away from. And I can definitely relate to those attitudes that I had, those negative attitudes growing as I continued to grow um, and develop. Now, the next paragraph says this process has an even more insidious aspect, separation from God. So those three groups of people in my life are always affected depending upon how I, um, depending upon my attitude towards others. Um, and just to confirm this, if I flip to page 113 um, of the white book, and we were there just a moment ago, um, on 113, small print last sentence, it says, when we are honest with another person, again, my relationship with others, it will confirm we have been honest with ourselves and with God. So there's the three people relationship, which is why um, what we do is so important. Um, so last, going back to page 53, last paragraph, no wonder we start having so much trouble with our mental health. Um, I, I had a double personality. I didn't even know I had it. I had a spiritual mentor for about 10 years. Um, I knew something was wrong with me. I was a suppressed addict. I hid it very well. Didn't know I had it. Nobody knew I had it. And she was able to pull this out of me. And she discovered that um, in order to hide this, I had created another personality. And so that mental uh, problem I had, I very much relate to. We pushed the light, the truth about ourselves and others farther and farther away until finally, when none gets through the shield of self-will, the darkness descends. The result, isolation, alienation, depression, disunion within ourselves. Is not this an insanity all its own? So this is a pretty bad state that I, Laura, was in um, when I realized that I had an addiction. And so what? what's the goal here then? If that's, that's the, the case that I'm in, what is the goal? Well, if you have your big book with you, on page 27 of the big book, um, it talks about a gentleman named Roland Hazard. Now, Roland Hazard is an alcoholic. He can't get sober. And he he's a rich businessman. He spends a lot of money. And he goes to uh, Europe. He tried to get the number one um, psychiatrist, Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud uh, is unavailable, thank God, because Sigmund Freud does not believe in a spiritual component to man. But one of his number one or two students, Carl Jung, does. So Carl Jung is working with this gentleman, Roland Hazard, who can't stay sober. And finally, the doctor says, look, I've never seen someone with your degree of alcoholism recover. So Roland Hazard, in a last attempt, says, are there any exceptions? I mean, is there something there for me? So the doctor becomes very open with him. In the middle of page 27, it says, here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have what we call a vital spiritual experience. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements, ideas, emotions, and attitudes. And there's that word again, attitude, which were once the guiding forces of our lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. So then again, there's that word attitude. And the words guiding forces is, is really implying that these attitudes are so paramount to my disease. And how is that so in the white book? Does our literature, our essay book, I mean, the big book is our literature, but does the white book confirm that? Um, 
on page 46 of the white book, top of the page, it says it explains um, attitudes and spiritual forces very well. It says these have to do with the personality, dealing with the will and the attitudinal forces, shaping the person and character. We refer to this as the spiritual dimension. Now, this is key. It is here where we discover the most powerful forces propelling us into our addiction. So it's not my allergy, which I do have, because once I start, the phenomenon of craving kicks in and I cannot stop. It's not the mental obsession that's always telling me to go back and just take one more lust drink, either externally or in my mind, which makes me very unique as an addict. I can get my drug just by having a thought. Uh, it's not the strange mental blank spot, you know, where I'm not thinking about lust. I'm not thinking about lust. I'm, I don't feel irritable, restless, discontent. I'm fine. And all of a sudden, I've been lusting for an hour and I'm going, where the heck, how did I get here? And it's not the strange mental blank spot. Restless, irritable, discontent is not what it's talking about. Now, that's the symptom. That's the pain I feel. But the spiritual malady are these attitudinal forces and it's the most powerful thing. And so that's why the other thing, it reminds me of page 204 of the white book, um, the crucial change of attitude. And that's what's referred to when uh, we read the solution today in the meeting. Um, so that's how serious this is when we talk about our attitudes. Um, so what do we do with this? Um, thankfully, we have a solution. And that's on page 102 of the white book under the wonderful title called Recovery. Second paragraph, middle of the paragraph. So I'm on page 102 of the white book. It says, as an AA old timer has said, when we uncover and discard our wrong attitudes and actions, we will discover our true selves, others, and God. There's the three-person relationship again, ourselves, others, and God. One directly affects the other. Next paragraph, uncovering ourselves, which is what bringing the inside out is, is what makes union possible. How can we be whole if part of us is hiding from ourselves? So uncover, discard, and discover is the process that we're going for here. Well, how do I do that? Well, that's exactly what the steps do for me. So steps one, two, and this is the next paragraph, one, two, three, bring us to the point where we were able to start this process. And once begun, the healing works of step four through through 10 become a way of life. Now, this is very neat how um, Roy K is going to do this. So you have uncover, discard, and discover. And now he's going to change the words around. It's going to be each cycle of awareness. So now uncovering, bringing the inside out is awareness. Surrender. So that's what we're talking about when we keep talking about surrender in our program. Surrendering is discarding. And discovery, the same word, produces what? Growth. So uncovering and increasing awareness is growth. And now the second word, union. So discarding and surrendering is unifying. And then the last word is sight, the ability to see who I truly am in the eyes of God, uh, which brings about, and then he goes back to the original order, awareness, surrender, and discovery. So that's what we're about here. And um, what does this do? And this is the best news of all. If we read the italics at the end of page 102 of the white book, it says, writing our wrong is where the connection is. That's amazing. That's why amends are so important. That's where life is. There, can it be challenging? Yes. Can it be humbling? Yes. Do I have to face fear and shame? Yes. I need to, over I need to overwhelm them. I need to overcome them only by the power of God. 
But that's where the connection is. So every time I surrender, and what are we doing when we're surrendering? We're discarding it to an, we are uh, discarding it to another person. Um, my desire to lust or resent and take God's deliverance, I experience union with God. Isn't that beautiful? Um, and every time I surrender my desire to judge or condemn another or hang on to my self-centered fear, every time I'm doing what I have to do to stay comfortable, I'm getting united. What a gift. Um, and here's the thing. So that helps me avoid, that helps me maintain the presence of God. It also helps me when I'm going through the steps the first time, really cleaning up the wreckage of my past that the big book talks about. Um, but it also helps me stay um, in that union with God, self, and others. But what about if I slip? What about if I fall? Well, the, the amazing news is, and whenever I fail and do the wrong, uncovering it to another and making amends, not only does it make it right, but it produces union too. This has to be the most unbelievable thing in the universe. So this is like the greatest news for me as sexaholic because Time and time again, when I fell, either losing my sobriety or losing my emotional sobriety, losing my temper, causing yet another harm, trying to be controlling or manipulative, those are my defects in steps six and seven. I would believe that it was that it was over for me because the goal was never to fall again. But that's not the goal. The goal is to constantly reconnect whether I can stay in connection by surrendering when it first comes up and working the steps, maybe a step 10, or um, if I do fall, I go back and work the steps to make it right. And I get union as well. That's why I realized, I realized in about, I want to say I, I have 11 years sobriety, but I want to say at about it took me a while at about years. And I don't have through those 11 years, I was not an essay. I, I had a religious mentor um, that helped me work a, a program that's very similar to the 12 steps. Didn't know it was the 12 steps. Um, and I was sober, but I, I just not, I couldn't overcome the, the mental obsession. I was in so much pain um, and resentment. So when I came into essay and I worked an intense program overwhelming the disease, um, in a short in a short six week cycle, that's when I started experiencing that freedom. But but I didn't really believe that there's no reason to ever believe that it's hopeless until I want to say about eight or my ninth year when I finally realized it doesn't matter how deep the hole is. Uh, we have the tools to help us every single time to get reconnected. So that's a very beautiful thing. And then at the last part of 103, last paragraph, it says. But just as surely as our wrongs are what brought us to despair, so our surrender to God and others in our wrongs will open the doorway to that great release and transformation that awaits us. Healing takes place from the inside out. So what happened for me is that when I came to work the steps, I did a lot of work in a group setting, in a mixed group setting. And so whenever... And I, and I had to check in. I was invited to check in. It was I was encouraged to check in every day, but also check in um, with two to three other people every day. And what that did for me, it really made it hard for me to keep anything to myself. I it was always coming out before the ego could check in and keep it back. And every time that I revealed a weakness to myself, I was connecting with people for the first time in my life. And when I was on step four just before giving my, my step five away, I was overwhelmed with feelings I'd never experienced before. I wasn't sure what they were. Um, and I said, I think this is joy. And I think this is happiness because 
I've never felt this wonderful before. And I knew it wasn't an abstract wonderment. It was, I, I have fellowship. I have real connection with people for the first time ever in my life. This was the greatest thing that I'd ever experienced. And it, I'd, I had a relationship with God coming in essay, but not like this. It was like trickles of water coming in. And then once I started surrendering through the step work again and again and again, it was like a dam of the presence of God flooding my life, but also through connecting with people, allowing people to see me losing that fear and shame. So, and that's exactly what the results promised. Um, page 111, um, this is after taking step five. So page 111 of the white book, the italic says, I took step five with my sponsor and experienced freedom from the burden of my past guilt. No big deal. Just a quiet realization. I was part of the human race. I belong. So I wasn't the worst person in the world. And I wasn't what the ego was always trying to convince me that the best person in the world I was a part of. I was connected. And that was a beautiful thing. Um, now, it does come with a warning, and I definitely relate to this warning. The warning is going to be on page 91 of the white book, and I'll read it for you. So 91 of the white book says, first paragraph, middle of the paragraph, it says a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. The saying goes, and lack of surrender in any of our known defective areas blocks the grace of God and makes it impossible to forge any chain of enduring spiritual and emotional strength. That's huge. That's huge because this is saying, I can have a spiritual experience. I can have a shift of, uh, you know, emotions and attitudes and a whole new set of ones replace them. But if I don't continue and something comes up and they, and this is very important what they said, it's known defective areas. It's what I, I'm aware of. I have that uncovering my subconscious is being brought to the conscious. I'm aware of it and I'm not surrendering it. I'm not surrendering it to God. I'm not surrendering it to another person. That is so powerful and preventing me from not having enduring spiritual and emotional strength. That's how serious it is. Um, it also talks about sticking points in the white book. Um, 81 of the white book says the importance of at each subsequent so once this initial right once i have my spiritual experience um once the initial turnaround is made it gives us faith in the surrender process so it's always referring to the surrender process and surrendering is bringing it out and taking steps to correct at each subsequent stage there will be a sticking point where a specific attitude or action will have to be acknowledged and dropped before we can be comfortable again and that's the wonderful step 10 that we have um and the danger is the very first thing that's mentioned on page 58 of um, the Big Book, right when they're going to tell um, us how to work the steps. We're convinced. Um, we've taken steps one, two, three. I know I'm powerless. I believe God can restore me to sanity, and I am ready to turn my life and will over to God. There is a, a but. And it's the very first thing on page 58 of the Big Book. It says, those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to the simple program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. Now, that's the uncovering. There are some, me, who is totally unable 
to bring the subconscious to the conscious, and I could not be honest with myself. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty, and that's surrender. And when I read this the first time, being an essay, I was shaking because this was me. When my uh, mentor took her six years to discover what exactly was wrong with me, and she told me I, I was a suppressed addict, I was like, no, nah, I was suicidal. I was like, that's the worst. Can I be an alcoholic, please? Can I be anything but a female and a sexaholic? Um, and then she says, but that's not the worst of it. And she said, um, because you suppressed it and hid it so well, you've become someone who doesn't understand the truth from the false at all. And she said, it's a pathology. She was trying so hard to be nice to tell me I was a pathological liar in the most loving way. But that's what she was saying was that I was a pathological liar. And she said, you cannot even tell what is real or not. And I remembered when she told me that there was a time when she was, she would guide me and give me direction and, and show me the, the, minutes, the way. Uh -huh. and thank you. She would show me the way to do something. I, go, I got it. And I would, I would be able to repeat it back to her and explain why it's the right thing to do and why this is going to, you know, reconcile my relationships. And I'd go right off the phone and I'd go do my own thing. And I do the exact opposite. And she would say, Laura, can you control yourself? I need to know the truth. Can you control yourself? Yes or no. I need to know which direction to go with. And I remember going, all right, I'm going to tell her the truth. I'm, this is it. I'm going to tell her the truth. Here we go. And I'm, I'm having this conversation with myself. I'm going, Eeny, meeny, miny, mo, catch. I'm just like pick because I was so far from telling the truth. Now, she was somebody who was willing to work with me. She would tell me, go back and try to think again about what you were doing and why you were doing it. And I would have to come back and she would say, go back and think again. And then she would walk me through my behavior and my actions and how they were inconsistent with the reality. And little by little, I developed the ability to discern, which I don't believe I would be here today if it wasn't for someone teaching me how to distinguish between the true and the false. And um, I believe that um, it's always possible if there's somebody willing to take someone by the hand and to teach them this. So that was my experience with that. That is a warning. It's always a reminder for me um, that I've got to be honest and no matter how embarrassing it may seem, but I've got to be in a constant state of surrendering. And it does say in the big book, I think it's on in the white book on page 86, that public surrender is very, and I think the word is crucial to our recovery. Um, and then, of course, on page 131, it talks about this as a continual program. Um, so continue the simple wisdom of that one word. The essence of this step in the, and this program is a continual process. The spiritual principles are a way of sound living, not merely some one-time technique. We replace the addictive process with the process of recovery. It's a continuation of moral inventory. That's the awareness. Surrendering our wrongs, that's uh, discard, and righting our wrongs, all based on our personal surrenders on step one, two, and three, and a daily basis of workday world of everyday living. And so I would just like to end with following up with the promises. And we're going to go back to where we started. We started on bringing the inside out on page 112. And we have so many promises that we, we can receive in this program. But I just wanted to emphasize the promises of um, bringing the insight out in surrender. 
it says in small print, second paragraph, once we have taken this step, it's referring to step five, withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears will fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. Uh, skip to, I think, two or three paragraphs. We shall get rid of that terrible sense of isolation we've always had. And top of page 113, last sentence of the small print. And this just says everything. When we are honest with another person, it confirms we have been honest with ourselves in God. And there's that the three-person relationship. And so um, thank you for letting me share my journey of bringing the inside out and using the literature to do that. And then I'll pass it back to the chair. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Adan. I'm sexaholic. Uh, Laura, thank you so much for your sharing. Uh, it's very inspiring to hear you. Uh, would, um, I, I want to ask you if you can please um, elaborate more about the tools uh, that helps you identify today, like what is not uh, honest uh, thought, like what, what helps you with that? Um, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for your question. Um, you know, page 86 of the big book says, as addicts, we're undisciplined people, and we let God discipline us in the way that we've outlined. So um, by perseverance, um, keep going in the program, and that determination, I've deepened by the power of God, my step one. And my step one is alive in me, thanks be to God. And that step one is that I have no other choice. You know, the white book says we have no other options. And I like to say I have nowhere else to go. And I am very well aware that I am powerless over my attitudes. I am powerless over the mental obsession and I am powerless over my physical allergy. Um, that being said, I have one alternative and one alone, and that's to work this program. And it starts with surrender or uncovering. And I, if, if there is a disturbance, so um, I think it's on page 86 or 87 of the big book. It says, um, pause when agitated. And that's step 10. I need to pause anytime I'm disturbed right away because I can't. I'm an addict. I can't deal with resentment. I can't deal with fear. And fear is huge. Um, it's, it's not just res resentment's the number one killer, but the driver of resentment is it's, it's in the big book as well in the inventory. It's like fear, fear, fears and italicized next to all of the, um, the parts of self that it affects is such a dominating uh, attitude or force in my life. And I can't live with it anymore. So my tolerance of these attitudes get smaller and smaller. So I have the awareness that if I feel this disturbance, my step one kicks in. I can't have this. And I have to face that fear because it, 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 until I get to that place where I'm just not afraid, I may have afraid. I can share surrender this, but not that. And then my step one kicks in and says, Lord, you better surrender that because you have no powerless. You have no power. You have nowhere to go but to go forward. Um, going forward is so key for me. And step one is always reminding me that my bridges are burned back there. So I got to go forward. And the forward is um, I got to surrender. I can baby step surrender. Um, I can t take someone that I really trust and surrender it to them. 
I can surrender in a gentle way in a group. And the more I surrender, the more I overcome my fear and shame to where I can just surrender it exactly for what it is, no matter who's in front of me. So I can even baby step surrender. Um, but my step one reminds me that I have no choice but to surrender. Thank you. Thank you. Marcus, you're up. Thanks, Laura, for your share. Um, man, I was flipping through the white book and the big book, and I, man, I was, papers are flying everywhere. So, yeah, you're all over. <laughs> That's kind of, but I'm grateful to have the willingness and have the literature. So, you know, I could identify my question for you. I liked how you just described progressive surrender. And I feel just like step two, I came, I came to, I came to believe I'm the educational variety sexaholic. I'm not the great white lightning experience guy. Now, you know, being a pathological liar, I can identify with that. My sponsor had a nickname for me, Sleazebag. And he says, I call you Sleazebag because you're Sleazebag Junior. I'm Sleazebag Senior. Um, so in regards to the attitudinal forces that we talked about throughout the white book, um, Roy K had, he wrote a few other books. I won't say the name because it's not essay approved, but he refers to recovery as recovery from sin, any attitude or action that shuts out the presence of God. So can you talk about what progressive victory over lust or any attitude that's blocking your relationship with your higher power, how that shows up today and how you're working through it? Thanks. What's coming to my mind from the big book is that the prerequisites that are indispensable is open, honest, and willingness. And and just like you had said, I can baby step that openness. I can baby step that honestness. And I can baby step the willingness. What I can't do is go back. Um, I don't always see. And um, the white book talks about uh, spiritual blindness. Uh, the big book says it's pride blindness. So I'm going to need help in what this program does is help me more and more grow. So that's progressive. It was shared to me. It hasn't been confirmed, but, but an old timer said that what Roy K referred to as progressive victory over lust was the progression and awareness. So if I'm blind, I, I cannot, I can't surrender that, which I can't see. So that's where the compulsion and that's where the constant cycling of the same harms, the same isolation, the same pain and the same suffering is going to be. But if I grow in awareness and I start to see an aspect of my addiction or my attitudes that I'd never seen before, once I get through the initial pain of going, oh, boy, that's what I'm doing. Great. That's how, you know, and, and overcome shame and don't go to shame. That's how bad I am. No, that's just how sick I am. And that's why I need this program. And that I'm just human trying to be well, just trying to, to live a human life and grow um, in my relationship. So um, once I see that's growth, uh, that's progressive victory. Now my choice, what I do at that moment is up to me. So I see that I'm in a temptation to lust. I didn't know it was lust. Now I know it's lust. What do I do about it? Do I make a phone call? Am I going to do a step 10 right there? Do I put my knee down and say, God, I don't want this. Or God, I do want this, but I'm willing to give it to you. There's that honesty right there. I'm willing to give this to you. Please fill that space. I think it's so important to replace the negative with the positive. The white book is very clear. 
It's not about sobriety. I can't not lust. I can't not resent. I can't not be afraid. I can't not be controlling. I can't not have shame. It has to be replaced with the positive, with faith, with trust, with actions of love. So when I do a surrender or put my knee down, I ask God to fill that space. Um, am I making phone calls? You know, am I going to the step work or am I going to fight it myself, which is a losing battle? So that is progressive victory for me, um, is that no matter where I am and what the circumstances, I go to my program. And again, God will uncover bringing the subconscious to the conscious. And as I disclose it, surrender it, I'm getting union, I'm getting clarity of mind, and then I'm going to be able to to make corrections. And that's going to help me see the reality and the truth and the good and the beautiful is that I really am a beautiful child of God. And so are you and so are you and so is everybody else. And we all have a beautiful purpose in God's plan. That's discovery for me. And it deepens and enriches as I go on my journey. So. Uh, Pastor. Are there are there easy points? I mean, are there hard points? Yeah. Is there times where I feel like I'm, it's just everything's, yeah, everything's great. And then all of a sudden everything, but that's the ebb and flow um, of life. And it's not that everything's going to be great on the externals. It's not about externals. It's about um, how I am on the inside. No matter what happens, I have a program to go to. So thank you. And I'll pass. Thank you, Laura. Gabriella, you're up next. Yeah. Hello, this is Gabriela, Sexaholic Germany. Uh, thanks for your share. Um, what I really liked what you said about uh, the baby step things. That's actually what I'm doing. And it's, um, it's good to hear that from somebody else because I question often what I do. Um, I, for example, if somebody heard me from the fellowship, then the whole fellowship is threatening and then I have to do baby steps whom do I trust now and then to see it's not true it's not true that the whole fellowship is threatening it's I had an experience but that when I um, do these baby steps that, um, yeah thank you for that but wh uh, why I really um, wanted to speak what really struck me first was um, the suppressed way of uh, sexaholism or something you said And I think I come from a background from suppressed sexaholism with, um, with work and rigidity and Catholicism. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It just struck me. And sometimes I think I acted out what my, <clears throat> my family did not act out, what, what was there in the air or in the atmosphere, but it was, um, yeah, it, which which was all thanks uh, was all labeled as a sin, and I uh, was I rebelled and I acted this all out. I don't really have it. It's not really a question, or if you have to say something, but but I have the feeling I, I come from a background like that from suppressed sexualism. Thank you. Laura, if you want, did you want to comment or do you want to go to the next? Well, I, I can share a little bit about a, a very important step that I had to baby step. And I was, I was taught baby steps before I came into SA um, because I, I just, there were certain actions I could not take and 
Step nine was a big one for me. It was strongly encouraged to me to do amends face-to-face. Um, and so we went to the literature. So the big book, I would just like to read this a little bit. Um, so I had all these things come into my mind. What if I'm shamed? What if they, they, they kick me out? What if they embarrass me? So page 78 of the big book, um, first full paragraph, last sentence. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. Someone yells at me. Someone laughs at me. Someone judges me. We have made our demonstration, done our part. It's water over the dam. Uh, and then next paragraph, last sentence, we must lose our fear. Fear is an attitude. It's a negative attitude. It's one of the most powerful attitudes. In fact, I was more afraid of fear. Fear was my number one, not my number one, it's my number two, but fear was my best friend before resentment was, and I was a rageaholic at four. So I go to resentment because I can't take the fear anymore. Okay. Uh, so fear is huge. So we must lose our fear of creditors. Now, put anything in there. Fear of friends finding out, fear of employers finding out, no matter how far we have to go for, I, Laura, Laura, am liable to lust if I'm afraid to face. If I have fear to face anybody, and if I resist, the addiction will persist because it's, remember, it's not the lust. The lust is the symptom. My problem is my diseased attitude and fear is one of those. So, I had all of this, and um, page 79, first paragraph, last sentence, we must not shrink at anything. I have no choice. I like to shrink at many things, but this is saying I have no choice. So I I still was afraid. I had shame attacks, and I, I didn't change the goal. I didn't make it comfortable myself. I made so I, I surrendered. I brought it out. I said, I hear you. I get it. It sounds good. I need to face this person. And I think it was my ex-mother-in-law. Who wants to tell their ex-mother-in-law they're a sexaholic? I don't. So I'm like, how do I do this? I hear you, but my heart is not moving in that direction. So I'm like, all right, baby steps. So first thing I'm going to do is write it out. Then what I'm going to do is read it to somebody on a phone call. Then I'm going to sit and pray over it. I'm going to, God, give me the willingness. God, give me the willingness. And every day I'm going to sit with it. And then I'm going to just put the phone next to me. I'm going to sit here. I don't have to pick up that phone. So I'm working on my attitude as I keep doing this. And then I'm praying and I'm surrendering. And then by the, I'm so tired of working on this. I was like, let me just get it over with. And I picked up the phone and I said, can I, you know, can I, can I speak with you? Um, I, I met with her face to face and it was the most beautiful amends. We talked for over an hour. We bonded. Um, and I, we told each other we loved each other, but I didn't change the goal. And I was honest. See, that was the honest. I couldn't do it. And I had to work little by little. So I just wanted to share how the baby steps worked for me and how it helps me over. If I'm constantly moving forward, even in the tiniest steps. So I just wanted to share my experience with that with amends and I'll pass. Thanks. Daniel, you're on mute. <laughs> saw my lips moving and no sound yeah thanks laura um we still have a couple more people in line but people with fewer than 30 days go ahead and raise your virtual hand if you have a question or a share and we'll go to lee hi my name's lee and i'm a real sexaholic thank you so much for uh the share and the, the intensive dependence on the uh, literature which i think is important uh the thing, uh, I, I started acting out at five, 
slam shut all my personal relationships. I had no spiritual life when I came to recovery and no one knew me. Uh, so uh, bringing the inside out to others was an extraordinarily important thing for me to get any kind of recovery. Uh, what I found was the single most important tool for me actually was mirroring off of other people. And it turns out that working with people doing 12-step work and drink allowed me to realize things I had been in denial about and bring those to the surface, even sharing with a person I'm 12-stepping with because I suddenly realized something that needed to be revealed. So uh, I wonder what... Uh, your experience has been with 12-step work and sponsorship, which have been big tools for me as I've gone through my recovery. And that's all. Yeah, that's huge. Sponsorship is such a gift. Um, it really does save lives and it does save mine because when I, about week three, um, this is very important part of my journey was I was, so when I came into SA, I was sober, according to the sobriety definition. Um, I, I wasn't watching porn or, or anything. The only thing that I was doing that was a little off was watching seven hours of news a day. Um, and I was challenged to get off all media. I was like, what? You, you're not talking to me. Uh, I tried. I tried bringing it down to a minute, to an, an hour, to two hours. That's it. That's all. I, like, how much news do I need? So obviously, it's not news I'm watching. I'm just escaping, um, and also probably objectifying people's faces and features, which is how my one of my manifestations. So what happened was, and that was revealed to me through someone challenging me. You know, challenging me to take six months, go media free. Now, I was placed in front of a television at three years old. I don't know what life is like without media. I don't know. And I can't compare any. I have no reference point. So I was willing to try because I really wanted recovery. I wanted to try overwhelming this disease and get out of just the, the white knuckling state. And so I experienced a clarity of mind that I never had before. Um, and what happened for me, I, I had read the white book in parts, but it was like Charlie Brown, you know, the adults and Charlie Brown, want, want, want. But when I got off media, it, and it didn't take that many days, and I was reading the white book every day, it just came alive. I mean, it literally just came alive to me. I do do meditation um, every day on the white book and the big book, and it just came alive. I don't believe that I would have the clarity of mind to recognize so much that God is revealing to me by sponsorship, you know, by what I learn about myself through sponsorship, if it wasn't for myself getting off of media. Um, so I just wanted to share that that was huge in helping me see myself um, as these things are being brought to the light through this process. Um, sponsorship. So what happened to me by the third week, I was fully off lust. 
and what I mean by lust, I mean media because I'm still getting, I'm not normal when I watch media. So I'm still getting dopamine hits in my brain. I'm kind of stoned, like a low level, what, what a buzz would be for an alcoholic or what being stoned would be for a narcotic, a person addicted to narcotics. So for me, it's like being stoned. That's what media did for me. But for the first time I got clarity, I, the, the drug was coming out of my system and I started experiencing what the white book talks about on page 23, an explosion of feelings, raw nerve endings, resentments, angers, fears, everything bursting forth, you know, like a dam breaking. And I didn't know what was happening to me. And what it was explained to me was this is the spiritual component of your disease. You are feeling it for the first time in your life. It's like, oh, my gosh, it was always like this. Yeah, it was always like it. You were just numb. So now is when the work begins, right? So sobriety is just the foundation of the beginning. So what happened was um, I was going to start bumping into people, but not so much a sponsorship. And what happened was I came up against my character defects through sponsorship um, and patience, controlling. I can't save people. Wanting to people please. So do I compromise the message to, to please my sponsor or do I protect the message and then I'm overly harsh and unkind? Love and tolerance is not my code. How the heck do I do this? I've never done this. And the white book said he had to grow. Roy K said he had to grow up and mature from the age of eight. Well, I had to grow up and mature from the age of four. So I am learning this and this is that unity side, what the 12 traditions do. Um, it teaches me the emotional sobriety so that I can have those connections with people. And that's what sponsorship does for me. I'm getting out of myself. So that's keeping me um, sober. Um, but what's getting me into recovery is the positive attitudes, learning how to carry the message in a loving and tolerant way, but also learning where I end and my sponsor begins. That's not an overnight matter, but it does require a continuation of working the steps in this program. So that's what sponsorship does and continues to do for me. Thank you. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.